Brian. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to all those watching online as well. Good to have you joining us. Um, well, we're continuing uh, part two. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we, when I talked about Dream Another Dream, uh, it is the story of Joseph. We're going to kind of do a part two today. I'll recap a little bit just in case you weren't here. Uh, the story of Joseph in the Bible, and he's coat of many colors. Most people recognize that story. They might have heard it at some point in their life. Uh, a little backstory for you about what was happening is uh, Joseph's dad is named Jacob. Jacob was married to uh, two women, Rachel and Leah. If you remember the story, they got switched, and he loved Rachel more, and she gave him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. He actually had 12 sons. Joseph was the second to the baby, but because they came from Rachel, dad really loved them the most. So Jacob had 12 sons. God would change Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel, from Israel, those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Today became the nation of Israel. This is where it started, all the way back here. And my sermon was prepared before all this started, okay? <laughs> so people are like, are you preaching on this deliberately? No, Holy Spirit had it already planned out this way. So, But uh, just to see how far back the nation of Israel began, and this is the story. And so Joseph has these two dreams, and he basically dreams about his, uh, these sheaves of corn bowing down to his sheave of corn. And uh, the next night he dreams about the stars and the moon bowing down to him. And basically his brothers hate him even more because they were already didn't like him because they're daddy's favorite, and daddy's favorite got a nice new coat, okay? And they didn't. So they already don't like him, but now they hate him even more because of this dream. And, uh, but the dad is like, okay, I think something is special with this kid. They sell him, they hate him so much, they throw him in a pit, strip him of his coat, sell him to these Ishmaelites coming by, basically into the slave trade. He ends up in Egypt. They tell the dad, hey, they dip the coat in blood and they're like, hey, sorry about your son. I think uh, animal ate him. Dad's devastated, of course. Back in Egypt, he's now in slavery. He gets put in uh, Potiphar, who was in charge of the guard, buys him and gets him to be a slave in his house, basically. But God's favor is upon him, which we'll read about in a little bit. And he elevates him to run the house. Then you get Potiphar's wife a few years later who puts eyes on him, tries to make a move on him. But he honors God and says, I don't want anything to do with you. He gets thrown in jail because she screams, you know, hey, he attacked me. So now he's in prison. Right, And now he's in prison for years, and then finally there's the king's butler and baker gets thrown into prison. They have a dream. Joseph interprets the dream for them. It comes true. And a few years later, Pharaoh finally has a dream, and he's like, I don't know who can interpret this dream for me. And the butler's like, hey, there's this guy in prison, and he helped me. Maybe he could help you. Finally, they bring Joseph out of prison. He interprets the dream. The dream is that there's seven good years coming, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. You need to prepare. And he says, basically, store up everything you can in these first seven years so you can have food in the next seven. The, the Pharaoh, the king, is like, this guy is brilliant. We need to put him in charge. I'm basically making him second in charge next to me. Gives him the robe, the things, the jewelry, a wife, the whole bit. Suddenly he's running the nation. And he's storing up everything in those first seven years. It's not until the seven years of drought, two years into the drought, that his brothers finally come to him and see him 
Well, they don't know it's him because he's dressed like an Egyptian with the white and the shaved hair and the, you know, the paint and the whole bit. And he's not speaking Hebrew either. So he speaks through a translator, so they don't recognize him. It's a crazy story. It's one of my favorites because he doesn't let them off the hook. It's not like he sees them as like, hey, I'm your brother. He like, he's mean to them. He's like, oh, you're spies. You come in here to, to spy out the land. And they're like, no, no, we're not. You know, please, king, give us food. Bowing down like the dream. And he's like, you know, and he sends them away and gives them, he's like, oh, do you have a dad? You know, tell me about your family. And he's like trying to find out if his dad's alive, trying to find out if his little brother's alive because Benjamin didn't go with. And he's like, next time you come, you bring your little brother. You know, and, and they're like, oh, terrified. They get the corn, they leave. He puts the money back in their satchel so they didn't even pay for anything. They're like, oh no, where's this money? You know, and then they get home and the next time they need food, they tell the dad, we gotta take Benjamin. Their dad's like, no, you're not taking my youngest. He's like, we gotta take him if we're never gonna get food. And so when he finally comes and he sees the youngest son and he sees his brother, you know, he can't take it. You know, there's a whole nother story. He tricks them again. I won't, we don't have time to go into everything he does with them. But he basically tricks them again, almost wants to arrest them, to get them begging for their life. And then he finally kicks everybody out of the palace and he reveals himself to them. He says, I'm your brother and takes off all this stuff. And of course, they, he starts crying as he's taking off everything and his brothers are standing there like this. <laughs> like the Bible literally says they were speechless because you can imagine the shock, right? This whole ordeal has happened and what? You're our brother? I can't even, my brain can't even register what is happening. Um, and so, you know, uh, when God gave Joseph that dream, from the time he had the dream at 17 to the time the dream was fulfilled of his brothers bowing down was 22 years. 22 years before the dream was fulfilled. Such a long time to go. And you know, there were major what we would call delays or setbacks, right? On the journey to his dream. Dealing with part of his wife, the prison, the pits, everything else before he got to the palace. And honestly, when you read his story, you begin to think this guy is cursed, <laughs> not blessed. You know, it's like things go from bad to worse, from Potiphar's house to prison, one thing after the next. And the, the interesting thing was the palace wasn't even the fulfillment of the dream. He, it, only, it took 13 years to get to the palace, so 13 years of rough times before he got to the palace. But the palace still wasn't even the fulfillment. The fulfillment was when his brother stood before him. And this is the moment where Joseph finally realizes everything that, that the dream was meant for. We'll look at Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. And I want to read you what he says there. So he says, as for you, he's speaking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. What you meant for evil, God meant it for my good. I'm not even going to get into that because I'm going to come back and touch on that in a minute. But see, we don't often read the Bible as it is because we like to switch it around in our head a little bit and be like, it doesn't really mean God meant it. He didn't mean for those things to happen. But it's kind of what the scripture says. He meant it to happen. And so you don't always see the fulfillment. You don't see the purpose of the dream God gave you until it's fulfilled sometimes. 
he might have had an idea of what he thought that dream was, but until Joseph stood there, his brothers bowing before him, and he suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I'm about to save my brothers from this horrible famine. I'm about to save my whole family because I'm in this position. I can save these people, not only my brothers, but I can save the whole nation. I can save nations around it because, oh my gosh, I can see the dream now. I understand the dream. And a lot of times when God gives you a dream or a vision, we only see it in one dimension. We seem to see it, how it directly affects me or what we think of how it is going to affect me. But honestly, you're literally only seeing one dimension. Because God doesn't, God is not just concerned about you in a singular moment. God is concerned about his kingdom at large. He's got a kingdom, a world that needs saving, a world that needs help, a world that needs impacting. And he uses each and every single person to do their part to get his will accomplished in the earth. So that more people can get to know him, more people can make it to heaven. So you think your dream that you're looking at or the vision he's given you, trust me, you don't even see the fulfillment of it yet. And for some of us, we might not even see the real fulfillment until we get to heaven. Then we'll be blown away. We'll be like, what? You did? You did what with me? I didn't even think my life mattered. And you're going to get to heaven and see the impact that you have. Because God is, has such a bigger plan than we do. You know, I've learned that when God gives you a vision or a dream, He hides the plan. He only shows you little moments, little glimpses, where you're like, oh, I think... I think I know what I'm supposed to do in a few steps from here. Oh, I think I know what I'm supposed to do when I, I get here. But he hides the plan. Because do you think if he had told Joseph about the pit, the part of his house and the prison, do you think he would have wanted the palace? He'd have been like, yeah, um, mm, no, that's okay. I'm good. I'm good. Just here chilling with my brothers. Right. And it's the same thing with you guys. Can I have a little more volume on my mic, please? It's the same thing with you guys. We do the same thing. If God had to show you all the setbacks, all the heartbreaks, the financial struggles, the betrayals that you're going to have to go through, you'd be like, yeah, uh, do you have option B? Like, I don't need to shoot that high, God. Let's like, let's reel it in a bit, okay? I think you're talking about the wrong person, you know, because we have this want for a life that is filled with sunshine and love and happiness. And it's not wrong to want that. The misunderstanding comes when you think that when it doesn't happen, that something's wrong. The misunderstanding is that it should be that way. The misunderstanding is my life should be constantly happy, filled with love, filled with sunshines, or something is wrong. Yeah. It's not necessarily the case. You know, I, one of my, my favorite stories as well is the story where the disciples are in the boat and the storm is raging and Jesus is asleep in the boat. You know, and you read this story and if you really read it how it's written, the disciples are terrified. Like, they're fishermen, so they understood a storm, right? So not, it's not, nothing's going to scare them if they're used to the ocean. They're terrified. They are filled with anxiety and fear. And I read the story, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, Jesus is 
literally in your boat. Am I alone when I read this? You feel this way? Like you're kind of like, come on, guys. Jesus is in your boat. Why are you so scared? But I think that they were so scared and afraid because Jesus was in their boat. Hear me. They were so shocked that a storm could even touch them because Jesus was in their boat. They were so surprised they were not prepared. See, we get so surprised by the storms of life. We get so shocked by the pit, so distraught by the prison we get thrown in because we're walking with Jesus. How did this possibly happen to me? We're surprised. We're shocked by the storm. But see, Jesus never said that there wasn't going to be any storms. He didn't say, hey, you're never going to go through a pit, Potiphar's house or the prison. He never said that. What he did say is that I will be with you in it. I will be with you in the pit, in the prison, and in the storm. You can have peace in the midst of it. And, you know, this applies to our visions and our dreams that God gives us as well. Because when he gives us this, a lot of times when we, when we face setbacks or delays, we see these storms that we face as a delay to our dream. When you're in a storm or when you're in a pit, somehow you think that is a delay to your dream. And that's what I want to focus on today. Your dreams delays. See, Joseph was only 17 when he has the dream. 17 might be a tad young to be king. I mean, think about it. Imagine having a 17-year-old president. That was probably a bad example. I'll take it back. Um, in a perfect world, you wouldn't want a 17-year-old to run for president, would you? Right? No. No, because we're like, no, 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 they got to grow up, they got to mature, they need to have some life experience. It's just not a good idea. And the same is true. Just because God gives you a promise doesn't mean you're prepared for it. There might be some growing up, there might be some maturing, there might be some things you have to go through before you're ready for it. So... God wants to get you to the fulfillment of his dreams, but where God wants to take you is a process. And the process isn't always fun. <laughs> if you've ever talked to a, a, like a professional athlete, somebody who competes, that wants to go to the Olympics, okay? What they have to put their bodies through is grueling. I mean, the way they train, it's like next level. You better be so sure that that's your dream. Because the process is grueling. All of us pretty much in here would be like, yeah, that's definitely not my dream. First day of training, we'd be like, yep, not my dream. Changed my mind. <laughs> the same is true in business, though. If you want to live a life that's financially independent, let's say, or be a success in, in your career, whatever that might look like, guess what? It's going to take more than just confessions and prayers. 
If you sleep till nine every morning and get up and pray most of the day and then do Uber for two hours, guess what? You're not going to advance financially because successful people get up before the sun. They get up when it's dark and most of them work till after it's dark. They usually have a career and then on the side they focus on the, the, the job that they're trying to do or the business that they're trying to create. They give more than they should because they know that's what's required. And see, God, so many scriptures where it says God blesses the works of our hands. It's a partnership. God works with you. So he needs you to get up and do your part. And a lot of the time, it just really looks like hard work. <laughs> You're like, okay, God, I feel like I'm doing a lot of this. You know, but... It, it is. It's about the follow-through. It's about showing up. It's about giving your best. It's about putting the work in day in and day out. And that's what you see here with Joseph. We're going to go to the part where Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. Okay? He's technically a slave at this point. So just to keep, your, just to keep uh, you knowing where he was. We're going to read Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. Thanks, Ben. All right, so the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So remember, Egyptians don't believe in, in our God, okay? They believed in lots of gods. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. I mean, how many times does it say that, that he prospered him? Prosper, blessing, prosper, blessing. You know what it is? It's because all through Scripture, you see when God's favor is upon someone, a lot of the times it manifests as blessing and financial blessing all through Scripture. And this is what I have a hard time when I see people comment on social media. Oh, is this, are you into the prosperity gospel? And I'm like, no, I'm just into the gospel. <laughs> like when people say that, I feel like, did you read the Bible? Because, like, there's so many stories, one after the other, where God blesses somebody. The favor of God is on them to an abundance level. Abraham was the most wealthy man that there was living at the time. His son Isaac went on to be the same. Here you see Joseph being blessed. He's literally in slavery, yet God is blessing the household so much because of him. This is the, this is the issue I have, is that you see God blessing him. Because it's a sign. See, God is using the blessing as a sign to the unbelieving Potiphar that there is a true living God and he is a good God and he will take care of you and he's not going to beat you and hurt you like your fake gods do. So sometimes the blessing of God on your life is for the unbelievers around you. So when God blesses you, don't hide it and say, well, I have to keep driving my old car because I don't want people to think, you know, I'm, I'm getting all this money. Why? If it's God's blessing, if you're tithing and you're giving and God is blessing you, maybe God is doing it so it's a sign to the people around you. 
Because the people around you are like, I don't know if I want to go serve your God. You're always driving that old piece of car. You barely can pay your bills. Like, I thought your God, like, owned all the planets and the earth and streets of gold, but he can't help you? Seriously, though, right? Stop hiding the blessing of God. And don't throw shade at other Christians when you see them driving a nice car and be like, oh, my gosh, why don't they give more to the poor? I'd be very careful with thoughts like that. Don't judge someone's harvest. You didn't see what they sowed. You're looking at people sometimes, you walked in at a part of their story where they're, in the harv where they're reaping. But you weren't there when they were sleeping in their car and still giving their last $50. You weren't there for that part. You walked in the part of the story where God's blessing is upon him and you're thinking thoughts like, oh, how come they're not giving to the poor? You don't know how much they gave to God. Be careful, be careful with that. Celebrate people, celebrate them. Celebrate God's goodness, celebrate it. When you look at it, you'd be like, man, that's a nice car. Woo, Jesus is good. If he can do that for her, he can do this for me. But one thing you will see in the story is that the prosperity that he walked in never pulled him from his purpose with God. It never, ever pulled him from his allegiance to God. And this is, here is the rub for Christians. Because some people think you need a whole lot of money, like millions of dollars, before it will pull you from God. For some of you, it's just a new car. I literally have, I, this happened. A person got blessed with a new car, literally given to them, and then they stopped coming to church. Because, oh, now i got to work on Sundays. i got this increase. i got this. I want to go to school now. I'm just too busy, so I'm doing this. And the reason I, I, I harp on that is because it's the only way I can tell when your spiritual growth starts to wane. Oh, no, I'll just watch from home. Will you, though? If you can't make it to church, if you put other things ahead of God on a consistent basis, you are letting that blessing block you now from God's presence. And the interesting thing is, do you know that Satan can bless you as well? Sometimes Christians, they pray so hard, I just need a new car, I need a new car, I need a new car. And God wants to give you the new car, I've already said, he, he wants to bless you, he wants you to have that. But sometimes, depending on your prayer, Satan can bless you as well. If he knows, if I give them that thing, it'll stop them coming from to church. It'll pull them from the Lord. Oh, they want that relationship so bad. Let me just make it happen. Because that person is going to pull them right from God. So be careful what you're praying for. Make sure that you've gone before the Lord with it. Make sure you honor God with it. Be like, man, God blessed me. Look at everything that you get in your life as a blessing from God. And you can't wait to be the first ones through the door to throw your hands up in worship and tell him how good he is. Right? And that will keep you in your allegiance to God on the right path. What you see here with Joseph is that he is not lazy. He gives his best. He gives his all. And he follows through at every corner. And you see, God needed to know if he could trust Joseph in Potiphar's house. He needed to know if he could trust Joseph with what was not his. Because what he had for him was the nation. 
He wanted him to run the nation. He wanted to be next to the king running everything. But he, could, he needed to know if I can first trust you here in Potiphar's house. When the blessing comes, when everything comes, will you, when no one's looking, sleep with the guy's wife? I need to know that when you get everything, you're not going to be doing in the dark. Because it'll ruin everything. See, God will test you as well with someone else's first before he'll give you your own. In every single thing, whether it applies to your own business, whether it applies to a relationship, and 100% if you want to be in ministry. You never see anybody in a successful ministry that didn't say, I served another servant of God first. I've never met one. And if they are, then probably God didn't put them there. Because <laughs> that's just not the way God works. He wants to, he will. God will never give you the palace until he's tested you in the prison. You know, if you want to have your own business one day, you want to have a successful business, whatever it want to be. How do you, how are you right now? How do you, do you give your best in the business you work for now? Are you loyal to your boss now? Do you give your best? Because if you, it's also about your trust and you understanding your reliance on God. See, if you can trust God in the prison, then you will honor him in the palace. Can you trust him now, even when your circumstances aren't perfect? Even when it feels like you're in a prison? Even when it feels like you might still be stuck in Potiphar's house? Can you trust him now with what you've got? Because when you do get the fulfillment of your dream, you will honor him in the palace. But people are like, oh, I want to run the business. I want to have my. I want to run the place I'm working. I want to be the manager. But look, if you're mean to people at work now, God's not going to make you the manager because you're mean. It's just not the way it works. You know, some people they they roll into work late every day with their Starbucks, and they blame being late on the traffic at the drive-through. And then they get to work, and all they do is say, oh, my, I could, I could run this place so much better. No. No, that's not the way it works. You have to be faithful in the little if you want God to elevate you and promote you. He's watching right now. How do you treat another man's? Even if your boss isn't the best. I wouldn't know about that. I'm a pretty good boss. No, I'm kidding. Where's my assistant? You better say amen. <laughs> that was a bit slow, Diana. That was a bit slow. I don't know. We'll practice that again this week, okay? But it's, it's the truth, though. You know, if you want a healthy relationship, but you gossip about everybody, mm, God's not going to give you a nice, good, healthy relationship because you're going to treat it badly. There's a process that's going on. He wants to elevate you. He wants to promote you. But he wants to give you the dreams that he's got for you. He wants you to see them fulfilled. But are you willing to go through the process? He is all about his kingdom. Remember that. Which means your life has to impact lives around you. Even if you don't necessarily know whose lives it is, you have an impact to do in this, in this world. But what he also doesn't want is he doesn't want you to hurt his people. 
So the process you're going through right now is to prepare you so when he gives you the fulfillment, you're not going to cause damage to his kingdom because you didn't go through the process. Some of you are still in Potiphar's house and you've been there a little longer than you should have been because you keep going around the same mountain because God is trying to say, can I test you with this? Can you pass this test? Can I trust you with this? I'm just trying to see if I can trust you with this. But because you feel like you're in the prison, you decided to party in the prison because you're a little mad at God. You just don't think your dream's ever coming true. So let's just throw a party in the prison. And God is like, you're going to be here a little longer. We're going to bring you around this mountain one more time to see if we can get you to do, if you can get the, the process correct. What is God trying to teach you? And process, let's just be honest, process is painful sometimes. It's uncomfortable. But it's important. It's important. See, God has long-term goals. Right? We're very short-minded. We want everything now. But God will use whatever and whomever he can to get you to the palace, to get the dream that he's got for, for you fulfilled. As I said in the first sermon, a pit isn't going to stop God's promise. The prison you feel like you're in right now is not going to stop God's promise from being fulfilled in your life. God, you see in Joseph's life, you see that he used the brother's jealousy to get him thrown in the pit. He used Potiphar's wife's lust to get him thrown in prison. God is using all these things to get him where he needs to go. But if you're honest, when you read the story, some of us, you don't really like this idea. Because God is a good God. He's not going to let anything ever happen to me. But when you read the story, it says God meant for this to happen. He used the brother's jealousy to get him in the pit, to get him to part of his house. The prison was part of God's plan. I walk a thin, tight rope here, down this rope, because people are on both sides of this. It's tricky. God doesn't ever allow anything bad to happen to us. Hear me. I am not talking about sickness or accidents, okay? It is clear in scripture, Jesus said the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So there is definitely an enemy, okay? And I'm not talking about sickness on your life. That is not God. I'm not talking about an accident. That is not God. However, God can use whatever the enemy tries to do to turn it for good. But if you can look at your life, some of us that are older can look back and see. Some of you, maybe where you are right now, you feel like you're in Potiphar's house. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison, not of your choosing. So sometimes if you can look at life and understand that, wow, God, I'm in your plan to get to the palace. Because even if the storm was brought by the enemy and I stand in faith and I believe you're the deliverer, you're the one who's helping me out of this, you're going to turn it around for my good. But possibly this prison is also part of your plan to get me where I need to go. If you're a good parent, then there's things that you did to your child growing up that caused a little bit of pain, okay? Temporary pain, should we say. But it had a lasting effect. Discipline, right? Parents, if you disciplined your kid, my brother and I had lots of temporary pain moments that lasted um, growing up. I think I got hit just because I had a brother. He got me in trouble like all the time. Hey, mom. 
It was just by, by proxy. I was just near him and I got slapped. It was just the way it went. But anyway, <laughs> we turned out okay. It's all right. Um, but you know, when you discipline your child to obey the rules that you're setting for them, what you're doing is you're implementing it so when they grow up, they will obey the rules of the street and not run a stop sign and kill somebody. That's good parenting. When you train your children to follow your rules so that they show up to work on time and they become a great employee and maybe eventually the manager, guess what? That's good parenting. Because making a mature adult responsible doesn't happen overnight and doesn't happen easily. Can I get an amen, parents? If you're online, come on, type amen to that one. The interesting thing was, if you ask a parent about the discipline, they will feel like, man, I loved my kid 90% and only 10% was discipline, right? I mean, if you ask the child, the child is like, my life was like 90% discipline. I was forever getting yelled at, forever being told no, and I was like, I guess my parents love me, you know? But you know as a parent that all that you're doing is because you absolutely adore them. You can't stop kissing them and loving them and hugging them. You love them so much, but you've got to do these little moments where it inflicts pain. Now, God is so much greater than that, but that's how he loves you. He wants to kiss you all over all the time, but some of the time there's a little bit of stuff that you've got to go through because he's trying to get you somewhere to be that mature, responsible adult walking in his everything he's got for you. And you'll see in this account that even though all these wrong things are being done to Joseph, no matter where he is, God's favor is upon him. In part of his house, in the prison, he gets elevated, promoted to run everything. God's favor and blessing are always on him. So you can expect that sometimes you're waiting for that big dream to be fulfilled. I'm waiting for that big one vision that God's got for me. But even in the process, you'll still see answered prayers. You're like, I don't get it, God. You won't answer this big prayer, but I keep seeing you answer this little prayer or this prayer about my rent or this prayer about this. But what about the big prayer, God? Because you're in the process. You might be in the part of his house. You might be in the prison, but God is still blessing you. His favor is still upon you. It's a way for him to give you the assurance that it's okay. I'm still with you. You're doing this. You're coming through. It's just that you're in the process. You're not, this is not a delay. And the most important thing for us to do when we feel like you're in the prison is not to throw your hands up in there and go, well, see, none of it works. How did I even get here? So much for that prophetic word over my life. Look where I'm at. That prophetic word was like two months ago and I'm still here. He honors God for 13 years years before he sees the palace 13 years some of you give up in 13 days you throw in the towel that's it I'm not coming back to church I can't believe that what you have to do in that prison and that part of his house is you'll see that Joseph never dishonors God he honors God the whole way through so how do you honor God when you're in Potiphar's house or the prison, you say, God, I know you're going to deliver me. 
You're a good God. You're always a good God. You are a faithful God, which means you're getting me through this. You're already moving me forward. I believe that everything you've got laid out for my life will come to pass in your perfect timing, that I am walking in it. You have delivered me. You are a good God. You always provide for me, God. See, that's called honoring Him in the midst because I trust that what I'm going through, He is very much aware and it might even be part of his plan. <laughs> Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing is wasted with God. Where you are, he might be working on your character. He might be where you are because he's still trying to get some of that pride out of you or trying to get you to believe in yourself, get rid of that insecurity. He might try to be getting you to work on your prayer time or what you say with your words because everything affects you later on. Because usually when people get all the blessing of God and all the stuff in God, then they don't necessarily spend as much time with the Lord as they should because the blessing is there. It's when you're in the pain, when you're in the need, when you're in the, God, I need you, when you start crying out for him, when you start really digging deep and building the foundation of faith in your life and changing your confession and watching what you say. This is the time where the growth takes place the most. So nothing is wasted with God. God doesn't owe you an explanation for the pit or the prison, but you do owe him your life. Even if, the enemy is the one doing it. God will turn it around for your good. No season is without purpose with the Lord. And sometimes what we think is delay is just really development. There's another aspect to the prison here. And that is when he was in prison, Joseph had already gone through the testing. The pit and part of his house was his testing, was his grooming, was his character building. So why the prison, God? Because sometimes the prison is about waiting for the people around you to be ready. He had to wait for the dream, for the butlers to come. Then he had to wait for Pharaoh to have the dream. See, some of you are in a place where God is pleased with you. Your testing is done, but you're in a place of waiting because your surroundings, the people around you aren't ready. You want, you're supposed to be in that promoted place, but guess what? You have to wait for that person to retire first. You're waiting for your, your dream husband that God's got for you. And God's over here, got your dream husband, except he's currently dating somebody else. And... Shocking news, God doesn't override anybody's will. So he actually has to work around the humanity's will. So he has to wait for this guy to get some sense to break up so he could bring you the man. So you're in a prison, not because of your choosing, not because you've done anything wrong. God's actually pleased with you, but he's waiting. Okay, you're waiting for that promotion. That person's got to retire. There's not much God can do. So sometimes where you at is not because of anything that you've done wrong. You've gone through the process. You're in a good place, but you're just waiting. And in the waiting, we just give God the praise, the glory, and the honor. And just be praying that God will open that guy's eyes so he'll see the truth and the light. I'm kidding. For my single woman in the house. 
See, you can be chosen, but still hidden. And so you just have to understand where you are on that journey. And that God is with you no matter which part of it you're in. The pit, part of his house, or the prison. On June, on June 10th of this year, um, I was reading, um, as I usually am, and the Lord spoke to me. If you understand what a rhema word is, is when scripture will jump out at you is the easiest way to explain it. And it'll hit your heart so hard. And you'll know instantly that the Lord is speaking to you. It's not just like a normal reading. It's like a rhema word. It comes alive. And this was the scripture he gave me that morning. It's Psalm 23. You know it well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know this, right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And I got to this verse, number four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as I read it, I knew instantly in my heart, I was like, you, you didn't know, but we, I already knew dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, at the end of May. And this was the beginning of June. This was right before the symptoms started to really get severe. Um, and uh, I was like, wow, God's giving me the scripture for dad. He's going to walk through it. And so I, I printed out the scripture and I posted it all around. My office is in mom and dad's house. And so I, I posted it all around the house, everywhere he could see it, where he was laying in the bed, on the fridge, where all of us could see it so that it would be in front of our eyes. This is a promise from God for us, that God is walking with us, that dad's going to walk through this valley of shadow of death. And of course, on July 17th, dad graduated and went home to be with the Lord. And I honestly, I'll show you here in my Bible. It's written in blue and it's written next to it, the date and for dad. Which makes reading your Bible more challenging when you go back to that verse and he's no longer here just being vulnerable. And I, <clears throat> I walked into the, the bathroom because it's on the mirrors in the bathroom. You can't get away from it, right? <laughs> this, the scripture was everywhere. And, one, and if, weeks after he passed away, I, I went in there and I was looking at it and I was just like, God, I was so certain you gave this as a rhema word for me for dad, you know? And there was silence. I didn't hear anything. I didn't sense anything. And I've walked with the Lord long enough to know that doesn't mean anything. Like, I'm not about to throw my hands in the air or turn my back on him. That was just me going to him with a question, you know. Like, I, I just want to make sure, you know. And uh, the weeks went by. Actually, the months went by. We just celebrated this year. This is not really celebrated, but <laughs> this, this week it was three months since he went home. And uh, I think it was the week before I had, again, walked into the restroom. And I hadn't really thought about it much, and I walked in. I was standing in the mirror again, and I saw the scripture, and I was like, Lord, I'm just always looking for clarification because I want to make sure I heard you. When you speak to me, when you give me a rhema word, you know, was I mistaken? Was that not from you? And I just, and I worded it differently this time, and I said, Lord, I thought you gave this rhema word to me. And instantly the Holy Spirit inside of me said, I did. 
I gave it to you. Because you are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are going to stand so close to death that the literal shadow of it you would be in. And I wanted you to know that even though you stood in its shadow, that I will be with you. I will never leave you. You have nothing to fear. I will comfort you because death doesn't scare me. And so even though you get that close to it, you will sense and feel its shadow. I will walk through it with you. And instantly I was like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. You did give it to me. See, God promises us he will be with us. And sometimes you don't see him or hear him like you expect to. I'll be honest, you know, the vision that being fulfilled, this is not the way I saw it being fulfilled. The vision that God give, given us, it's not the way I saw it being fulfilled. But you know what I told the Lord? I don't want my version. I want your vision. Can you say that about what's happened in your life and say, wow, this doesn't quite look like the way I thought the vision or the prophetic word or the dream you've given me would play out. But at the end of the day, God, I want your version, not my vision. Because my vision is too small anyway. In closing, I wanted to finish with this. In Genesis chapter 41 and verse 50, Joseph it talks about before the famine comes, in those seven years, he gets married and he has two kids. And it says, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, this is the, the interpretation of the son's name, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph finally got what he always wanted, a family. God blessed him. He's saying, God blessed me. I finally got what I've always wanted, my family. But it said he also made him fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can you trust that God is not only going to make it so that your blessing that he gives you in your life will make you forget your troubles? He literally forgot about everything that his brothers did to him. It made me forget about the hardships. It made me forget about the pit, the prison, part of his house, because God is such a good God that when he blesses you, he gives you your deepest heart's desire. Money meant nothing to Joseph at this point. We know that. He never says, oh, look at me. I forgot my trouble because of the money. No, he gave him children, which was his deepest heart's desire. He knew that would heal the wound in his soul. God knows what's most important important to you and he knows how to heal it to a place where you forget your troubles and he says he will bless them in the land of his affliction so guess what you might be blessed in the place that you least expect it you're like God I didn't like this job but now I'm running this place what happened Lord I don't know what your situation is what your land of your affliction is but let me tell you God can make it so that you're blessed right where you are, right where you didn't think you would ever be, still God will bless you. And he will bless you in such a way that you forget your troubles. Can we say amen to that? All right. Go ahead and stand with me today. Go ahead and stand. Lord, we love you today. 
God, we're so thankful. Just spend a, a moment just thanking him. Because it doesn't matter if you felt like you were in a pit. doesn't feel, matter if you feel like you went through Potiphar's house or the prison. You can still be thankful because he is a good God. He is a good, good God. And he is always making a way. He's making a way out of that. He's making a way towards the dreams he's got for you. Begin to recognize. Turn your eyes and say, God, forgive me if I've... If I've not recognized your hand in every part of my life. Forgive me, God. Forgive me if I've blamed you along the way. God, I want to be, be honoring. I want to honor you in every part of my life, God. Speak to the Lord. Tell him those words. Speak to him. Thank him. And realize that there is a dream and a purpose and a plan for each and every one of your lives. And nothing, no pit, no prison will stop God's plan for being fulfilled. If you need to get your life right with the Lord, maybe you've walked away from him, maybe you've never really truly served him, made him Lord of your life. God's number one plan then is just to get you into his kingdom, into his family. He sent his son Jesus who died on the cross in, in our place and who rose again after three days proving he was the one true living God. He took the sin of the world because he was God in the flesh. And he took your sin so that you never have to be apart from him ever again, neither now or in eternity. So if that's you and you want to just get your life right with the Lord, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. God will see it. This is not about me. It's about you and him. Thank you for that hand. Thank you. God sees it. He knows you mean business. All of heaven is watching. Just talk to the Lord and just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, of every sin. Forgive me of my wrong thinking. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his blood that was shed in my place. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for making me your child. I thank you for your grace and your mercy upon me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to walk and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. I'm going to have my ministry team come forward, please. If you need prayer today, if you need us to stand with you, whatever you're going through, if you need prayer for healing or finances or just if you want to know more about serving God, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, you have questions, please come down front and uh, pray with somebody. And uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the service so you can go get your kiddos. But thank you for coming out, guys. We love you. Have a great day. Jesus loves you even more. Amen. Have a great day.